Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. One last time, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 9. Located on page 671 in your pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 9. We've been studying this for a month. We don't want to hold up the Bible, but I think we know it by heart. Let's rise as we hear these two verses of prophecy. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. May God bless this reading to you. Please have a seat. Well, today marks the start of a very weird week that happens every year. It's the week that happens between Christmas and New Year's. I don't know what you call it. I call it Christmas limbo. I, I think it'll catch on. Christmas limbo. It's that weird week where we're still riding high from Christmas, but we're also getting ready for another major holiday. And a lot of people are on break. A lot of people are traveling on vacation. We're taking time off work, some of us. And we're, we're, it, it's a good time, but it's a strange week. It's a week where we still have those warm fuzzies from Christmas. We're still eating the leftover cookies. We're still, still spending time with family and friends. We're enjoying our presence. We're, we're enjoying the decorations while they last. Somebody told me before the service that their neighbor had already taken down the tree and dragged it to the curb this morning. For shame, for shame, why would you do that? Enjoy it. Because we all know when January 2nd comes, reality crashes right back in and rudely puts us back into our routine. So we have this sense that we need to hold on to Christmas, and thus Christmas limbo week. It is an odd week. Uh, One librarian shared a story. She said, I love working the week after Christmas because people wander into the library with the most complicated expressions on their face. She says, that expression tells me that they're glad the library is open, but they're puzzled why anybody is working the week after Christmas. She loves watching that. Another guy said, the, Christmas, the week after Christmas is very confusing and disorienting. And he says, I look back at my Google search history, and all I see are variations on how do I use leftover ham. <laughs> Christmas limbo. It's a week we build Christmas up to such great heights every year. We're excited for it. We count down to it. Believe me, I have four kids. I could tell you exactly how many days are left till Christmas every day. And now it's done. And it takes a while for us to kind of 
coast off of the high of Christmas. It's great for a few days, but then we're going to reset the calendar and the countdown begins all over again. Except, not for us here at the church. At the church, Christmas is not the finale to the year. It's not the, the end to a great buildup and one day and then it's over. Rather, Christmas is just but the start of the rule of the child king that Isaiah talks about here in chapter 9. And it's why for us, Christmas, the good news of Christmas, is it doesn't have to end after the week of limbo, that we can still have Christmas every day for the rest of our lives. Well, over the past few weeks, we've explored with Isaiah this extraordinarily exciting promise of a child to be born who is going to be king over all things, providing wisdom, strength, blessings, and peace in his rule. It was a cause for celebration as they looked forward to it. It was definitely a cause of celebration the day it actually happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But inevitably, those who even believed in the Messiah, those who submitted to his perfect rule, started to have doubts. We're human. That means we're sinful. And doubts creep into our minds all the time that we don't keep our promises. Why would God? And so we worry that God, this king, is going to let us down. It reminds me of a story of a woman. She had surgery. And as she's coming out of that, that fog of anesthesia at the end of her surgery and coming up out of it, she heard church bells playing in the distance. And she mumbled in, the, in that kind of, hey, she's like, oh, I must have died. I'm in heaven. And she opened her eyes and she said, oh, I'm not. My sister's here. <laughs> Talk about a really quick letdown, right? We don't like to be let down. Everything in life seems to let us down sooner or later. And so it's very common for us to think, maybe God will too. It's natural for us to worry about that. And the enemy knows it, which is why our enemy whispers in our ears to pray on our doubts, saying, well, what if, what if Jesus' kingdom will weaken and collapse? What if it is only here for a limited time and then it will go away? What if Jesus doesn't have what it takes to keep this kingdom going? After all, he's making some pretty big promises. He's saying he's going to do all these great things. But what if? What if? We have these fears come up, these worries, these doubts. And that's why I believe that Isaiah ends this passage here that we studied, this, this prophetic passage providing us reassurance against these fears. And the first fear is a very common one where we have the fear of the kingdom of God collapsing. You may not think of it in that terms, but I've had a lot of people come up to me with variations on saying, Pastor Justin, I'm really worried that the church is failing in the world. That we see, you see news reports of church doors closing, that the church in America is on the decline, and secularism is on the rise. And there's this fear, and they're not really putting words to it, but that the church is dying. That one day, the whole church globally will come to an end because there will be no more need for it. And every door will close and the gospel will fade away. 
We worry about that. Well, I think it's actually kind of encouraging to know that this is not a new concern at all. In fact, in the Bible, you see it in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the new church, this new fledgling church, which was so fragile and so small, instantly came under fierce persecution by both the Roman and Jewish authorities. And they're persecuting the church. They're trying to suppress the message. They're putting people in jail that profess that they follow Christ. They're, they're persecuting people and even killing them. And so that there was this natural fear among the early church that the believers were worried the gospel message was going to be quarantined and contained and extinguished. But we must not forget that Jesus promised his disciples when he established a church, saying that not even the gates of hell will prevail against my church. Not the church that exists independent of me. My church possession. And indeed, even among those early years of fierce persecution in the book of Acts, the, the book tells us over and over and over again that the Holy Spirit added to their number daily to those who believe. That instead of shrinking and dying, the church exploded. It grew. Geographically it grew. Numerically it grew. And it's encouraging to see that their fears were not founded. Go forward 1,500 years to Germany, where the church in Germany was in a lot of turmoil back then. And the great reformer Calvin looked around and he said this, he said, we must not judge the church's stability by the present appearance of things, but instead judge it from the promise which assures us that the church's continuance and its constant increase. God's not interested in keeping the church status quo. He's always interested in the increase of the church. Because Isaiah prophesies, not only will Christ's kingdom be established, but it will forever be increasing. It will be growing geographically. It will also be growing with every single new soul that is saved. Today, December 26th, new people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the kingdom will increase. December 27th, that will happen again. December 28th, it will happen. The Holy Spirit will add to the church daily to the number of those who are saved. So the kingdom can only grow and grow and grow. And it's amazing to know that. Well, speaking of the past, ever since the 12th century, there has been an attempt to create something called the perpetual motion machine. Have you heard of this? So it's, a, it's a pipe dream. But inventors have always tried to make this thing. The idea of a perpetual motion machine is to create some sort of device, and they're all different. I've seen a bunch of different models, that once you start it, it just goes under its own power indefinitely without any external energy coming into it. It can't be powered by external sources. So once you start it, it just keeps going forever and ever and ever. And a lot of people have attempted to make a perpetual motion machine. There have been prizes offered, cash prizes, if you can crack this nut. Nobody ever has. Why? Because God has instituted something called the laws of thermodynamics. Physics in our universe that say, no matter what, everything wears down. Nothing can go under its own energy in our universe forever. 
There's an end to all things. Our lives are proof of that. We have an end to them. That everything we own eventually wears and tears away to nothing. So we see all of that, and our human minds think, well, what if Christ's kingdom is also like that? What if there's this, this question of it starts off really good, has a great start, grows, but then eventually winds down like every single other thing we know in our life. But that's not what Isaiah says. Isaiah says here in verse 7 that of this kingdom there will be no end. He also says Jesus will establish it from that time on and forever. So, imagine for a minute, this, this is really hard for us to get our minds around forever. But imagine right now, you bought a car. You know what they tell you the second you drive your car off of a lot, that you buy it, immediately it starts depreciating in value. That your car is no longer worth that, what it, you just bought it for. That's really disheartening. And then rust sets in, and parts of your car breaks down, and, and eventually your car... Well, imagine you had a car that if you bought it, every day it was like new. It never wore down. You never had to get an oil change. You never had to get brakes redone. You never had to get realignments. You never... Nothing. If this car was the best car because every day you had that new car smell, and the tires were brand new, and they had all their grip. And that car, day after day after day, was perfect. What if you had a cell phone? Every time you pulled it out, 100% charge. And it never lost charge. The battery never went down. It would be the best phone in the world. Mine goes down if I cough wrong. What, what if your bodies, every day, were young? And the next day, they were just as young as the day before. And you never had health issues. And you never had new wrinkles come in. Never new gray hairs. That, none of that. Day after day after day. We can't wrap our minds around this. But this is what being perpetual is all about. That day after day, it's the same. It goes on without wearing down. And that is eternity. Eternity is a concept a lot of people struggle to even envision if they try. I don't think a lot of people in our society, even in the church, weirdly enough, think about our forever existence, that we will exist forever. Where we exist, that's up to the state of your soul, but we will exist forever. When I try to think about eternity every once in a while, when I get brave and I want to think about eternity, I feel like my mind starts contemplating what it would be like for every day to keep going and there to be no end to it. And I start feeling dizzy, like I'm at the edge of a vast chasm. And I start getting really shaken by this, this thought of it. And I have to take a step back and go do the dishes or fold some laundry or something to calm down. Because the idea of eternity is more than our minds can grasp. But I think eternity is worth considering now and then. Because the Bible says this is the length of the rule of our king. Eternity. Jesus' kingdom is perpetual because Jesus is perpetual. We don't have, I, I've had some non-believer friends who say, well, everything has a start, so your God 
must have had a start. You can't have a God who didn't have a beginning. I said, yes, I can. Because he is a self-existent God. He's the only self-existent being we've ever known. And that's what makes him great. He was existent from eternity to eternity. And the Bible says this over and over again. The angel Gabriel, when he came to Mary, said, Mary, Jesus' reign will be over Jacob's descendants and his kingdom will never end. The angel told Mary this. No matter, no wonder why Mary was celebrating when she received this announcement that this kingdom, that her son would usher in, would never end. Isaiah tells us in his 57th chapter that Jesus inhabits eternity. And in Revelation 1, it says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus inhabits eternity. And if he inhabits eternity, and he's king over his kingdom, his kingdom is of eternity. And we are part of that kingdom. The bad part of Christmas limbo, the bad part of any vacation you've ever gone on, gone to Colorado, come back, and I'm sure you count down the days. Going, oh, at the beginning of vacation, it's great. I've got a week ahead of me. I've got two weeks ahead of me. And it feels like a lengthy, wonderful amount of time. But your mind can't help but count down the days to the end of the good times. The end to your Christmas limbo. The end where you'll have to go back to work and shovel yourself out of a lot of papers or whatever you need to do. And you know that there's an end to the good times. But the Bible says it doesn't have to be that way. Not when it comes to the kingdom of God. The real joy of Christmas is that when we go to our glory with our life in Jesus, we will never be counting down the end to our days with Him. When you have spent a million years in heaven with Christ, you will have just as much time ahead of you as you ever have. And that makes me dizzy all over again, contemplating that. But it's wonderful because you'll never have hanging over you this thought of, but it will end. But one day I will have to depart my Savior and depart all I know. In our country, you can feel somewhat secure putting your money in banks because there's an organization called the FDIC. The FDIC ensures that if the bank is robbed or if it burns down or Godzilla steps on it or whatever happens, that $250,000 of your money is insured by the government, that you will get your money back. It's the guarantee of the FDIC. And I always look at that and go, wow, It would be amazing to have $250,000 that was uh, insured, but, you know, maybe someday. We'll see. But what guarantees us that the kingdom of Christ, that these great promises, and Isaiah has not been going small with these promises in chapter 9, these great, grand promises, peace, mightiness, everlastingness, all this, what is the guarantee that this is actually going to happen? Because we we worry about that. We consider, what if these claims can't really go the distance? What if we get to the afterlife and we find, ah, the kingdom's kind of halfway. It's a halfway kingdom. We get some blessings that God promised us, but not all of them. What if it's a heaven that starts to fall apart due to wear and tear? 
because my kids show up. And they see, you know, I've seen what they do to my house. I'm sure a lot of kids, when they get to heaven, that's going to be, you know, wear and tear. It just happens. Uh, God's going around, who broke this toilet? Not me. What guarantees the promises that Isaiah makes, the promises that God makes, the promises that Jesus makes about this eternal kingdom? What guarantees it? Well, Isaiah points us here beyond the FDIC, beyond insurance companies, to a greater guarantor. He says that there's really only one thing that could guarantee this eternal kingdom. And he says it's the zeal of the Lord Almighty. That's what will accomplish these great things. Zeal. It's a weird word, but it's the operative word there of verse 7. He's not going small again. Zeal drives home that for God, our redemption, our eternal life with Him is not a side project. This is not something God's doing on, on the side or even under extreme reluctance. Like, I made this mess, I guess I have to clean it up. It's not what He's doing. He says, I am passionately, excitedly involved in this mission. That's what zeal means when you're acting with great amounts of enthusiasm or energy in a project. I think we all understand that there's a, a giant difference between somebody doing a task half-heartedly and somebody doing it with all the energy and enthusiasm in their body to the point where they want the best possible result. There's a big difference. You're both doing the same task, but one of you is doing it with zeal. and One of it is not. There was a, a conductor named Eugene Ormandy. And one day, he got up there to conduct the Philadelphia Orchestra. And a, a viewer in the, the audience was watching him. And he said, as I was watching him, this man, he was conducting it with such vigor and such enthusiasm that the man actually dislocated his shoulder while conducting it. And the viewer wrote this. He said, I don't even know what they were playing. But I watched this man pour every last ounce of himself in doing this. And I have to ask myself, have I ever dislocated anything, even a necktie, because I had poured myself into what I was doing with such passion and zeal? The rule of Jesus will accomplish everything Isaiah writes about because God is absolutely passionate and zealous that this will happen. We use this word zealot, and we have a very negative connotation with it. But let's, re let's reclaim that word. Being zealous for something good is great. And God is zealous for us. God is absolutely zealous for us. He has the energy, and He has the ability to guarantee the end result. Let's get past this mental image of God sitting back in a throne in heaven and being this still, serene figure who does very little because he's just sitting. Rather, let's look at him as Isaiah says later in his book when he says, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself a mighty warrior against his foes. We have a God of action. We have a God who's on the move. If you've ever read the, the Narnia books, the, 
lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. They mention that Aslan is on the move, and it stirs up excitement in those who believe in him. We have a God who's on the move, a God who's working actively for our redemption, has already accomplished it, but he's actively working right now to redeem life by life by life for the church. And he's working and on the move to establish his kingdom forever, preparing for us a room. And if it was not so, he would have told us. He's on the move. We see the zeal of Jesus in his mission in the Gospels. He is not doing things half-heartedly, is he? He's pouring every last bit of himself into what he's doing. In John chapter 2, it's very, uh, very clear how zealous he is because he goes into the temple and he sees how the people have turned his temple into this crass marketplace. Jesus picks up a whip and he goes all Indiana Jones on these people. He starts driving them out. Get out, get out. And the disciples have this light bulb moment where they remember the Psalms. When the Psalms say, the zeal for my Father's house will consume me. Jesus was consumed by zeal. He's not going to do anything halfway. He's not going to do anything half-hearted when it comes to redeeming us. He's going to go all the way. He's going to pour every last ounce of himself. And we know this because it is backed by the zeal of the Lord Almighty. So brothers and sisters, enjoy your Christmas limbo week. Hopefully you get some time of quiet. Some of us will still have to work, but I still hope you get some some good rest in there. But I encourage you, don't let go of Christmas when January arrives. You can put your tree on the curb, whatever you need to do, but hold on to Christmas in your heart. Because this is just the first taste. This is just a preview of what the zeal of the Lord Almighty has worked so hard to accomplish for your future. This is just the beginning, and the end will never come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this profound prophecy of Isaiah 9. We just praise your name, and we praise you for how you are working and continue to work for us, for the church. Lord, Lift up our spirits. Help us to cry out in rejoicing. Help us to lift up our hands and our voices to you today to praise you in our hearts, to rejoice over the days to come, to know that you will turn every tear from our life into gladness, all our sorrow into joy. And Lord, the losses we have sustained will be nothing to compare to what we gain in you. Lord, be with your children this week. Help us as a church to continue to move along with you, to be partners in this ministry, to be servants going out to spread the gospel news and let other people know that they can enjoy this as much as we do. In your name, amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church. 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 10.30 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash knoxepc. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.